great to be with you. Uh, last week, we did a series, uh, or we, we started a series. It's really just kind of a two-week thing. Uh, we wanted to talk about fear coming into the new year. It seemed to be a dominant uh, narrative uh, in the news. Uh, anyone picked that up at all? Anyone given up following the news? Because you're just exhausted and or scared. Like that is actually what is fear-inducing in your life is the news. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, news. Around politics, there's a lot of rhetoric that, that drums up a, a lot of fear. Um, there, there is a, a constant need in a 24-hour news cycle uh, to not highlight. You think with all that time, you'd have a lot more segments that would be focused in on the beauty of what's happening in the world. And they even just, they could just call me and I would give them hours and hours and hours of content. It's like little old us in a tiny corner of the smallest state in the country. I got to imagine there's a lot of beauty out there. And yet what sells and what compels us often to watch, right, is these fear-inducing things. So we just, as we were praying about the new year, we knew there was a bunch of series that we wanted to hit. We knew the Calling All Peacemakers Sunday, which is next week, that we, we always get excited about that in January. Um, as Rick just mentioned, after that, we do our Vision Sunday, uh, which is uh, just a, an awesome time. We're going to link that up with Heart, which is our Sunday evening worship time, just to have a service of prayer for the beginning of the year. So those things are always sort of in place, and we're getting ready. Uh, and we thought, all right, what are we going to do during the season? This is the season of Epiphany in the church calendar. And we thought we would, let, let's, let's take a moment and zero in on this. And so as I started to, to look at texts on fear, there's a lot of easy sermons to give, a lot of easy reminders. And then there's uh, some slightly funny ones. And then there's just some real hard stuff that seems to not make sense. And in fact, sometimes just a cursory reading, you get perfect love drives out all fear, which is what we talked about last week. And all of the passages, right, we mentioned, depending on how you count it, there are 366 times in the scriptures that the, the, uh, some version of do not be afraid is mentioned. 366 times. So we joked that was like one for every day of the year plus a leap year. You know, it, it, there, there's all this, yeah, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Um, and I can't, the, the danger in a community like this is I always tend to kind of speak for all of us. Um, I guess that's the danger in any group that is truly like heterogeneous is to, to kind of say, no, no, we're all kind of coming from the same spot. But I do want to make an assumption is that last week, you know, if you saw the graphic on Instagram, if you like read the email, if you saw that we were going to be teaching on this, uh, even as I began preaching last week, you were, you were um, a good chunk of you were like, Awesome. I'm so glad I brought a friend this week, you know, this reminder that God is not like a scary God, and he, he says, don't be afraid, and perfect love casts out freedom, so where perfect love is there, fear can't be there also, and all of these amazing and true and beautiful things, let me just pause there, that's why last week we spent all that time, and I preached way too long at you about that very fact. Last week, by the way, was absolutely stunning in this regard because it was amazing to see all these folks, um, all of you, like, respond, hands going up, not just saying yes to Jesus for the first time, though that is amazing. Can we give a round of applause for all those people? Yeah, seriously. But the amount of folks, uh, I was just ex having an exchange with a friend of mine the other day about folks that, that just needed to, to kind of have this fear engaged and needed to hear these words from God of like, don't fear, don't be anxious, I'm with you, I am for you. Like to hear the reminders of the God that goes with us. 
And so a teaching like that in general, and I think especially for a group like this where many of us come from maybe disenfranchised church environments, right? Just the curse of youth, right? The arrogance of youth is that like, and I've heard many people say this and it's always sort of a bittersweet comment. I love sanctuary, not like all those other churches. Kind of not, I don't want that actually. If by the other churches, you mean that one fundamentalist church you had when you grew up? Okay, cool. But sometimes there can begin to develop like a chip on our collective shoulder because, I don't know, we got the branding right or something. Or, or that, that, oh, this church seems progressive enough that it wouldn't ever like talk about those parts of the Bible that we like to pretend don't exist. Or there must be some like biblical way to write off the fact that like God can't be like that. He has to be just the God who is like, he loves you, he's for you, that's it, end of the story. So in a way, that's it, it, the end of the story. But the other side of this fear discussion and what we knew we wanted to do from the beginning was if week one we're going to just hit really hard like in Christ you have nothing to truly fear. We wanted to wrestle with what at first seems like the flip side of this and what you'll see is actually just beautifully tied together or bound together like a hand and a glove which is this the passage that Barrett just read to us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And before you think talking about just the fear of God is just this Old Testament idea, right? If you've been around the scriptures, you know there's this Old Covenant and New Covenant. This is how God used to be, and now God's like this. He used to be grumpy and angry, and now he's really smiley, and it's great. He used to love killing people, and now he's like like the best. Besides that being just an awful reading of scripture. (laughs) There's like not one person who's like, yeah, that's how I always saw things. Wow, you shattered my mind. But there's these subtle things that do tend to creep in is like, oh yeah, there's a reason why we don't talk about that anymore. I I don't even need to humbly submit to you. I can just tell you that this is fact. That in the New Testament, there's a whole lot of calls to like, fear God. You should fear God. Fear God is the beginning of wisdom. There's a lot of texts uh, around this. We're told to fear God, since we're doing a lot of counting games during this little mini-series, about 100 times in the scriptures. And yet God keeps telling people over and over and over, fear not, fear not, fear not. I remember for the first time um, meeting, everyone remember the first time you met somebody who was either, you just looked up to or was maybe a celebrity figure, somebody that you respected like deeply. And maybe some of you aren't really into, you know, you'd actually, if you came upon a celebrity you'd be like, you just intentionally give them the cold shoulder, right? That's like the New England way, right? I've heard that's like the Irish way too. It's just sort of like, I was reading a story of, um, everyone knows I, I, I like the band U2 a bit. And, uh, and he was telling, I heard a story about Bono and he was saying, for those of you who are too young, he's the lead singer of U2, educate yourself. And uh, he, he says, I love living in Dublin because no one gives a bleep about who I am. It's like nobody cares. Like I walk into a bar, you know, anywhere else, and it's like, Bono, it's Bono, it's Bono, let's get this autograph, let's go over. Hi. You know, like, and in Dublin, it's just like, he actually gets like more negative like than anything. Like, uh, Bono, he always like takes that extra piece of pizza or something. You know, like, you're at a moment where you've come upon somebody who, who just you revered. Um, there's somebody who's, by the grace of God, now become a bit of a friend, but somebody who I, um, I was looking up to, I was listening to things that they were talking about, I was reading things that they were putting out, and I just had this moment of like, 
oh my gosh, like to meet this person, like I don't know, I don't know what I would do. Like I know I'd play it cool and I would turn it up, but like sort of like, you know, pre-performance anxiety or something like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I remember the first time sitting down with them, it wasn't that I feared Rob, it was that I didn't like, I, I, I didn't want to mess up. I wanted like him to like see like how great a person I was, but I also wanted him to know like I revered him. You know, it must be an awkward thing when you're someone who inspires people. Sometimes people go like, you have no idea what you did. Like, what's your name? Hi, I'm Andrew. And you start bawling. I had a moment of feeling like this deep, deep sense of, of reverence, essentially. There's no fear of my safety, but we had like, I had fear of the encounter. Tim Keller calls this, this idea like kind of a joyful fear. We're happy to meet a person, even excited, yet we don't want to say anything or do anything to mess this up. Um, I think I might actually feel that way if I talk to Tim Keller. It's a deep sense of awe in Scripture, this fear of, of enthusiasm, of hope, and intimidation combined is kind of how it ends up playing out, at least when I interact with people. And I think if we feel this way about people, how much more are we going to feel this way if there's some truth to the fear of God, and we're going to get into what this really means, how much more when it comes to God? When you're a child, you have a fear of your father. If you, have, if you had a healthy relationship with your father, but you also know your father to be, to kind of play this very traditional protector role usually because of his strength, because of his literal, just sheer physical strength. Father in a healthy family is a source of both comfort and then there's oftentimes a real healthy fear. I was talking with some friends last night about my dad and how my dad was the kind of dad who, so my mom, a hot-blooded Irish woman, would uh, yell a lot if we were in trouble. Um, she was very vocal. She is very justice-minded. She is very confrontational. I am my mother. Um, and my dad, though, is this the calm, cool center of the universe. Um, and so what would happen with discipline-type situations is this. I would hear something throughout the week, something I wasn't doing well. Mom would, and I love my mom. Mom, if you're going to listen to this later in the podcast, I love you. Um, she, would, she would more nag in the most wonderful, loving, redemptive sense of the word nag. <laughs> and and it was, it's, anyone, have, anyone have or are a nagging mother? Oh, no, I'm going to raise <laughs> Be careful. Looking around, watching like Gibbs and Harkins, like the big families, like, no, mom, no, not you. <laughs> right? You, you harp and you nag and you, 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 she was always on it. And, and she, because she was so aware of things, because she wanted to nip it in the bud and she didn't want us to fail, she was on it and on it and on it. And my dad was the kind of father, the kind of parent who, who would just sort of flash the look. Like I did something wrong. I never forget. Like it, it was... I didn't totally lie about, like, my homework not getting done, but I kind of did, and I sort of told the white light of the teacher, and I was rationalizing it, and I was explaining to my mom. And because my mom would get upset, I would use that as justification because she wouldn't always respond well. And I'm like a debater, so I would fire back at her, and I would just kind of use this tact where I would get upset with her and how she was doing it, thus ignoring the actual problem. Anyone ever use this technique? Phenomenal technique. But what happened is that my dad then... You know, I remember maybe a couple hours later, my dad would just walk into the room and just give the like. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, like 
like break down, like to disappoint my dad. Like there's this deep sense of awe and fear. My dad, the calm, cool center, never yells, never felt in the least bit threatened, hardly ever raised his voice. He would just, it's like if Zoolander were a father. Like he just, whatever that look would be. Like he'd just like, ah. My, my wife was telling a story the other day that she, um, with her and her three sisters, uh, and who were all just very sensitive children, um, they didn't help mom with emptying the dishwasher. And this had been an ongoing thing. And they like all like went and played. And instead of, um, her name is Prue, instead of Prue getting upset and yelling, she was just very frustrated that her daughters were not helping again, helping clean. So Prue brought them all in. She said, you guys, this dishwasher is still full. And he did not help me do it. And this is just a mom knowing her kids. She said, I need you to sit down. So they sat down at the stools on the island. And they're just like, what's mom going to do? Why isn't mom getting upset with us? You know, as a kid, you're kind of confused, like, what's happening? Like, I know I'm in trouble, but nothing's happening. And then Prue went over to the dishwasher and started emptying the dishwasher slowly in front of them. And because knowing her sensitive daughters were like, no, mommy, you don't have to do it. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that's so long. Like, it's brilliant. A lot of parenting tips this morning. There's this, if there's this fear and, and, and sort of reverence and sort of like, oh, this is the right way to do things should be, you know they sort of hold the keys, right? If we have this, and this is a very sloppy metaphor, but we have this with, with parents, with other people, the scriptures would say how much more so than with God. Proverbs 28, 14 tells us that happy is the one who fears always. Someone who is constantly in fear. How could someone who's constantly in fear be happy? Somehow there's a tie in the scriptures between happiness and the fear of God. Psalm 134 where the psalmist says, forgiveness comes from you, therefore you are feared. Forgiveness and grace increase because of the fear of the Lord. So often the fear of the Lord is actually linked with joy. There's another passage in Genesis 20. Abraham uh, assumes that this king would likely kill him and take Sarah as his wife. Since Abraham thought to him, Abraham thought to himself, so he's one of the founders of the faith, and he's worried about this other kingdom that this is not going to go well. This whole situation that's happening. I don't have time to get into the backstory, but here's the verse that stood out to me: Genesis twenty eleven. There is no fear of God at all in this place. This is his assessment because there is violence and coercion and unhealth. Is that, oh, there definitely is no fear of God. It's kind of an older phrase, but have you ever heard anyone say um, to somebody else, the, uh, oh, that's like a God-fearing woman. It's like a God-fearing man. Anyone ever heard this before? Like, oh, yeah, it's a total God. We don't kind of use that phrase anymore. But how, even in a culture that, you know, somebody, I've heard people say this, that, don't believe anything about God. What is the general feeling there? Positive or negative? Positive. Oh, then no, they're like a God-fearing man. Right? You're gonna have to say a little southern accent. That's a, that's a God-fearing man right there. Like that's that's a man who knows his boundaries. That's a man who's responsible. That's a man who has integrity is often the word used. I was trying to look up examples in literature of where that phrase was used, and that was oftentimes what I found it was most linked with was integrity. That's somebody who, like, 
who's, who's, who understands the fear of God. Or, or you say as parents to kids, I want to put a little bit of the fear of God into them. Right? I want to put a little bit of like, do you know where you are supposed to be and how things are supposed to be? When people revere God and recognize that he sees all, that he knows all, and in, this is just examples through scripture that he's a righteous judge. They're prone not to play games often with their own brokenness. Proverbs says, again, the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. And the text that Barrett read, that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. In the New Testament, there's tons of examples. One in particular that I love, this really strange story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a story of distrust. It's a story of, of lying. Uh, they're, they're coming here to give the generously to this church community to help the widows and the orphans in the community. And one of them lies about how much they had actually like made from this sale. And so Peter, the person in the story, isn't ticked at them because they didn't give enough. He's mad because they were deceitful, because they weren't honest. And then there's this just crazy story of people being struck down dead. Of like they like chose this way of death. And however people have sorted out this story, it's just this really abrupt thing where all of a sudden it says later on in commentary on this passage, Acts 5.11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This great fear came upon them. There was this sense all of a sudden of, of an acknowledgement that God was in their midst. There was an acknowledgement and an honesty that God was in their midst. To be in the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God. The Hebrew word has these overtones of respect, of awe, but ultimately fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed or to be controlled by something. To be overwhelmed or controlled by something. To have like a central like place of operation from, a, a core central posture. This is argued um, by a few different scholars, um, one being N.T. Wright and t- two being N.T. Wright and Tim Keller, overwhelmed and controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. So, really basic. For all the other things it might mean to walk in the fear of the Lord and I believe, the amount of notes I have, we, we could have a very long, and I would love this some other time, like Bible study, like day-long like trek through this whole subject. There's a lot of nuance, but just basic. To walk in the fear of the Lord, it must, before anything else, first and foremost mean that we recognize who he is, that he's here, that he is not us, that he is not just some cosmic abstract life force, that he cares and that his love is true and that he is for us. And I mentioned part of that and that for some of us, there are certain, and I'm not gonna totally pick on certain threads or streams within faith, but there is definitely a movement I noticed within friends of sort of moving, well, God's sort of all in all and cosmic life force and sort of like, it's an incredibly Buddhist idea kind of morphed into Christianity, which is if I can just be attentive and aware of the great love that binds anything. And what it subtly does is it strips the personality of God and actually begins to allow it to look nothing like the God in scripture, which I find ironic when people use like God is love. They get that from the Bible. And so they say the Bible's true about the God is love part, but not about the, all the other parts. Separate sermon. 
This is a simple and like, like clear out of the gate acknowledgement that God is other, that God is here, and that my impulse of God is, is love and for us and a, a forgiving God who has set us free, who has set us on the path of righteousness, the things that all so many of the great philosophers and scholars, the, the atheists turned Christians throughout history, all the apologetics that we've read of how could there not be a God and how could there not be this Jesus and all of this, that, that there, this isn't just a worldview to adhere to. That there is a person and a personality. For some of you, this may feel so dumb that I'm even bothering to say this, but I know for some of you, I'm hitting right at the core of what you're wrestling with right now. Really basic. It's a reverential fear of the God who is actually here. It's interesting. As the church then... And as we move into like Vision Sunday, as we move into a season where like I'm going to jump around a lot more and get so excited about the future of our church and what's happening and you're all going to be a little overwhelmed and I'm sorry ahead of time. Is what's happening then in the church as it relates to what God is up to is that God and his spirit is unleashing on us. It says in, in, uh, in Joel, which is repeated in the book of Acts, the birth of the church, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That God's ultimate end for our transformation, for being people that live without fear in the wake of love is to unleash an untamed faith. God desires us to be fearless in a sense in a very real sense, an untamed faith. I read this passage, and, and this is the prophet saying what is in existence now, that God is right now pouring out his spirit on us, unleashing so much beauty, causing us to dream dreams and see visions of what is ahead. If you are hurting on the proof of that, I humbly submit that has everything to do with your posture of your heart, not God. Sorry. God's ultimate end for our transformation is to unleash an untamed faith. When his spirit's poured out in our lives, we are inspired to an extraordinary level of living. Followers of Jesus never exist simply to survive. We never, as Christians, just get through the day, another day muddled with low-level, low-lying fears. We wake to live and to live fully awake, to be filled with the spirit of God, to be filled with dreams and visions that are too compelling to ignore. We live or die or succeed or fail. We must pursue dreams and these dreams and visions that God gives us. The call of Jesus confronts us with all that we love and all that we fear. The call of Jesus confronts us with all that we love and all that we fear. To acknowledge that God is real in, in our midst. To walk in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, is to acknowledge what God is doing of pouring out his spirit on all people that we may live lives that don't fear anything else but him. The call of Jesus confronts us with all that we love and all that we fear. Too often we resist love to avoid pain and we squelch our dreams out of fear of failure. So for the spirit of God to unleash dreams and visions within our souls, we must become free to risk and to fail. 
we must become free to push the boundaries of our imagination and allowing God to fuel them. And when we turn to God, his love transforms us. It ignites a new passion within us. And all that we have loved is consumed by the passions of a new heart. And we discover the power and force of love in its purest form. And all of that, that wonderful little poetic diatribe of what it means to be fueled by the love of God is the exact reason that when we turn our hearts towards God, all of our fears are consumed by one fear. And that is the fear of God. And you want to know why? Yes, yes, I want to know why. Tell me. Because what we fear is what we're subject to. Because what we fear is what we are ultimately subject to. Our fears define our master. Our fears define our master. Where there's no fear, there's no control. And when we fear God and God only, we're no longer bound by all the other fears that would hold us captive. Whatever we fear is what controls us. Whatever we fear, we know this. If we're scared of the dark, the darkness controls, controls us and we run from it. If we're scared of other people, right? And I'm not talking about the obvious fear. Sometimes people hear preachers, they think like, who's really scared of other people these days? Like, okay, if somebody broke into my house. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like you're a loner and a wallflower because you really do not like intimacy or connecting and your fear of other people and all the anxiety that comes with it. They have control over us and we cower down to other people or to situations. If we're scared of failure, then fear of failure controls us and we'll never attempt anything in life. Anyone have a fear of failure? I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like, that is what haunts me every single day. In fact, I find things that I can like C plus, B minus, because then it's, you know, I'm okay. I don't have to risk anything. Some of the smartest, most intuitive people I know literally B minus their way through life. Because God forbid they would have to put themselves out there in a situation where they might not hit the A, where they might fail, whatever it may be. If we're scared of rejection, that controls us and will never take a step in faith. If we're scared of insignificance, I'm preaching to millennials yet, that controls us and we'll be obsessed with ourselves. How many of you are scared of insignificance? Weirdly, like your worth is wrapped up in likes and friend counts. Or insignificance, like it doesn't seem like you're doing anything that important in the world and no one's acknowledging it. Or like you're so different and so significant that you don't even like, you know, you're not even pushing your own significance on social media. You know, like you, you get stuck in the cool circle. <laughs> I'd only preach to four people and I know who you are. <laughs> and, and, and scared of, yeah, insignificance. I could go off on that one. I know for me, man, there's just this like mission complex. It's like I, I, I wanna, I wanna matter. I, I think, I think I wanna matter in a good way, in like a Jesus way, and like a for the kingdom way. But there are times where it's like there's a lot, a lot of messy pieces of, of agenda, of motives going on in my own heart. Like you, you wanna be significant, don't you? You really wanna. Yeah, you know, for the glory of God, though, you know, give thanks to God, God in all things, and grace to God. I'll just take, you know, the runoff. And the greatest fear of all, death, the very thing that controls most, most people. We've talked about this many times. Most psychologists, right, the fear underneath everything, human generative death anxiety. 
Most psychologists believe that's basically the fear below every other fear. In fact, it's so deep and entrenched and subconscious in there, you cannot bring it to the conscious surface. It just sits there. You're going to die, and that affects a lot of what you're doing and how you're living. In fact, it's so pervasive, you can't actually think about it very often. The very thought of death controls some people. They become obsessed with it, and it gains control in their lives, keeping them awake. All the fears that we know, that know us by name, whatever the fear is for you that haunts you and be, like, causes you to become powerless, these fears themselves become powerless when we know the fear of God. When we fear God, we're no longer bound by any other fear. We even discover the love that casts out fear. Like not even God will hold us or control us by it. But when we fear him, we are in essence begin to live a life where we are fearless. Like we are free to love. And the freedom from fear makes followers of Jesus an entirely different species of human. Or it should. This may be the most extraordinary mark of the church. The freedom to live out our dreams to chase after the vision of God with absolute abandon. When you live that kind of life, you will get static. You will find it hard to fit in, which is why I think over and over in the scriptures, you see God needing to tell, not outsiders, but followers of Jesus, followers of God, don't fear. Have you ever heard it said, uh, the, the phrase, the safest place to be is at the center of God's will? Anyone ever heard this phrase before? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. No? Great. I don't even have to address it. Sometimes people say that. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Yeah, it's, that's a great setup. Thank you. She said, yeah, I never have, but it sounds really good. Yeah, the only problem with that is, is that it's just so deeply untrue. In fact, it's not even an innocuous statement. When we believe that God's purposes and intention and promise is that we, like he will keep us safe from harm, we become completely disconnected from the movement and the power of God. I'm hoping that the intent of that statement, which has had many of the Morning Star cards, is, is that, no, 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 you want to be where God wants you to be, which is exactly true and which is exactly the point. When you're there, when you are someone who is truly stepping in with the fear of God, <clears throat> with the fear of God. I wasn't sad right there. I just like frog jumped into my throat. When there's that moment, when there's these ongoing transformational moments, we are continuing to step into the reality of what's actually at play versus the, the, the script of the culture around us. We find ourselves more and more in the center of the good news of Jesus. We will find ourselves severely unsafe. We will find ourselves in places that are hard and risky, from conversations around the water cooler at work to calls across the world to go and serve God in, in amazing ways. Maybe that's why we hear do not fear to people following God. It's because there's lots of fear when you're right where you're supposed to be. And T. Wright was once commented, he said, wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they serve tea. He was commenting on a little bit of the disconnect he felt in his early years of ministry of like, I, am I just preaching to the choir? Am I putting myself into a place where the radical love of the gospel is confronting the brokenness and oppression of the world? Am I somebody who is so inclusive that I've been infuriating the religious people? 
and is so passionately loving and wants the best for people that it doesn't let the, oh, be whoever you want to be all the time, that it infuriates like the, the, the progressive culture around him? Is he somebody who is so walking in, in the way of Jesus that Republicans are absolutely furious and at their end in the same way the Democrats are? Socialists and libertarians are a little friendlier, but you know, it's, is there an allegiance first and foremost to Jesus before there is to anything else? I think people in the scriptures need to be reminded to fear the Lord because they forget. They forget that that's where the love is. That's where the life is. That's where the grounding is. To live with an attentiveness that your father knows what's best for you. Climb back into that moment. If you can imagine having a good dad, I know this is painful for some, but for those, imagine having a good parent who like there is a fear, They're, like they are present with you and they know the what is right and what's best for you. And when you have this sense of, I never doubted, that was just, I had this blessing of an upbringing, I never doubted that my parents loved me. If I, if I had any fear, the fear would have been that my dad would stop loving me. It wasn't fear of being grounded. The fear of not being loved by my parents far superseded any fear of punishment. And I think it's the same with God. It's if there's any place in fear. Uh, the, the writer of the great hymn, Amazing Grace, when he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." What's the next line? "'And grace my fears relieved.'" You ever caught yourself singing that? You're like, what? "'Twas grace, it was grace that taught me to fear." Like, oh my gosh, this is how good the grace of God is. This is how good and loving and perfect and holy and present and amazing our God is. It was grace of God that taught me to like have a proper reverential fear and awe of what is most true and beautiful at the world. And then the next line, and it was that same grace that relieved my fears. Because when you're there, there's nothing else to fear. There's no, what else could you possibly fear when you are grounded, when you're walking in the fear of God? when we learn what it means to be obedient to God, when we understand that God's will is more important than ours, when we have respect for him, when we understand that God deserves all that we have, when we submit, we understand that God is greater than anything else, and when we truly begin to fear the Lord, our lives are no longer wasted on foolish crap, but on eternal things. They're not wasted on stuff that's meaningless, that every act of creativity and beauty, of providing for family, of loving, of hugs, every good act goes on in God's good kingdom, eternally having some weight and significance. I was talking to somebody the other day who was just so caught up with, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, I don't know where to go. And I was reminded of something that I've, I've told many and been told many times, is that we have to remember sometimes that the calling that every if you're here, and, and this applies to people who are followers of Jesus, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I already know what the call is on your life. Yeah, you came to one of those kinds of churches. I already know, definitively. Like, go and make disciples. Join God in the renewal of all things. God is renewing all things, and he calls us to partner with him in making all things new. To pray the kingdom, of, kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Through every act of love, generosity, beauty, self-sacrifice, you have an opportunity to further the way of the kingdom. 
Not just operating on autopilot, but actually opening and being listening to what does God have for you and daily submitting yourself to that. Before anything else, before whether I should be a blank, I should be a blank, I should go to this class, I should do this thing. Before any of the other things which are important and God cares about the desires of your heart, but a macro calling on every single human in this room who is walking with Jesus, that is our call. To first and foremost stand submitted with the fear of God before anything else, God, I come to you. And that will relinquish. The more and more we trust that and walk in that, it will get rid of every other subterranean and really in your face fear. All of it. This is what it means to fear God. You're submitting your life to Jesus. You worry less and less about the consequences, good or bad. There is a beauty and freedom when the one that we are ultimately submitting to is a God of perfect love. It is possible to live a fearless life when we remember how true fear of God is defined. It's about giving him his rightful place in our life, giving him glory and honor, respect and awe and obedience. For some of you, this is so hard. Like submission is like everything that is just impossible to own. It is saying that I'm going to actually, I don't have it all figured out. And I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to kill my cynicism. I'm going to drown my constant critique and begin maybe for some of us just to walk in faith and to trust that just maybe God has something for you. Just maybe he's there. Just maybe he's a loving enough father that he will call you home. And that your fear is not like the discipline of God. Your, your fear would be living life anywhere else other than in his presence. Every day, start by fearing the Lord. Every day. God is bigger than all of these things that consume you. All of the things that keep us up at night. I heard Christine Kane, who's a famous preacher, say this recently. She said, stop making what people did to you bigger than what Jesus did for you. I like that. I think that applies to a lot of things, but specifically fear. Whatever fear is induced by what has been done to you or by the habits and traps that you've set for yourself, by the sin that you're sinning with, don't let that be bigger. Don't let the fear of that or the fear of even bringing that before God, don't let that be bigger than your actual fear of being disconnected with him. And the beauty of all of this, if you're new to the Christian story, is that God will never abandon you. Never abandon you. He will never abandon He will never abandon you. Maybe our prayer this morning needs to be, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is or isn't happening in my life, but I want to learn to trust you completely. Teach me not to be fearful of what's going on in my life. Do you fear insignificance? And Jesus, God, makes it possible for you to make a difference in all the right and beautiful and redemptive kinds of ways. If all you do is fear God and not people, you don't fear insignificance, then you can be the person who humbly serves, humbly leads, and no one ever knows because you are so confident 
and who you're trying to please. And a God who loves you either way. It's this beautiful, like, reverse catch-22. <laughs> Do you fear failure and rejection? God says he will never leave you and never forsake you. Do you fear death? You do not need to. Those are really easy words to say, hard words to own, but I just would submit to you that does not make them any less true. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All those who come and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never drive away. Let's pray. It was grace that taught my heart to be in awe, to walk with an awareness of who you are, God. Throughout my life, in moment after moment, after seasons of doubt and running from you and seasons of being faithful, it's always been grace, this unmerited favor from you, this undeserving love and forgiveness that has always taught me to be in awe of you, to fear you, to be somehow both deeply at rest and deeply in, in, in awe and cowering before you. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And it has been grace that day after day has chipped away at the things that scare me. May I hold my family loose more loosely than I do. May I love them, serve them, want the best for them, and realize that you love them far more than I ever could. Or may we hold our finances in the same way, knowing that every good gift came from you in the first place, even the ability to make that dollar came from you. May we be people who do not fear poverty and do not fear wealth, for we are submitting daily all that we have been given to you. I may not fear others, fear insignificance. Fear all these identity issues that come up over and over in our culture. Because we know who we are in you. Like how could I have anxiety
Why would I need to jockey for position? Why do I need this existential FOMO? <laughs> when, when I know who I am, I'm your kid, I'm yours. I'm loved by you. I'm your child. I don't fear anything but you. And to find that when I'm invited to fear you and you alone, I'm met with perfect love. A, a God who does not control by fear. What an amazing truth to find all over again. You invite your people over and over, fear not. Fear not. Invite your people who are right in the center of your will. Don't be afraid. You're right where you're supposed to be. So I pray this morning for those that are not where they're supposed to be, who need to respond to the grace of God this morning. They can say, God, all right, take, take hold of this, this job, this, this thing, this agenda I have for my life. Maybe some of us need to do like a radical rethink this morning. Maybe some of us, it's just the joy and worship and lightness of going further into a f- more fearless life. What's the next invitation that God's inviting us to to step into? The next thing, God, that you're, you're calling us closer into the center of your will where, yeah, things might get hard. It might be difficult. There might be static. But there in that place, you speak over us over and over and over again. 365 times, fear not. Don't be afraid. You rise from the dead, defeating death. People are like, what is going on? You're, for the first words from the mouth of the Almighty is fear not. May we take hold of that this morning as we rest in a place of awe and wonder that you are here. May we stay awake to the grace poured out on us. May we realize the wisdom that comes from the reverential fear of you. May we not fear correction from you. May we know that we are loved. In your name we pray. Amen.